98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Bigly Blast. Many questions will accompany the Cardinals into their week one showdown against the Chiefs at State Farm Stadium. So will one unnerving statistic. The Cardinals have a five-game losing streak at home. They no longer feed off the raucous home field advantage bookended by Kurt Warner and Bruce Arians when the opposing team was intimidated and goaded into offside penalties when the Red Sea was actually one of the better live audiences in football. Now, since the departure of Arians, the Cardinals have only won 10 of 32 games at home. Under Cliff Kingsbury, they're 9-14-1, and last year, during a season that featured a 10-2 start and a playoff berth, they were noticeably better on the road. More physical, more focused, more formidable. Now, times might be changing. During the pandemic, there was little or no attendance, and visiting teams posted a winning record in the NFL for the first time in history. And there was was no real bounce back year last year where home teams went 137, 131, and 1, the worst show of home field advantage in the last 20 years. Now, experts theorize there's a lot of reasons for this, that advancements in sports science, the growing comfort of visitors' locker rooms, and online secondary ticket markets have all conspired to nullify an NFL team's home field advantage. But for almost a decade, State Farm Stadium was full of stardust and magic and noise and incredible finishes. Now, it's kind of stale and dull and full of infidels, and no matter how they do it, the car Cardinals need to restore the roar when they open the doors for a new season. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW, who make luxury attainable with two great locations and one great experience. You can find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. Uh, forgive my ignorance on this subject, uh, but is Restore the Roar trademarked by anybody? It might be. If that's a Bickley original, you should get on no, that. No, that's not. I, I th- Well, maybe I should, but I, I think I've heard that somewhere else. Probably somewhere Phil Jackson's got a patent on it. <laughs> hey, Pat Riley. <laughs> Pat yeah, Riley, right, one, of, one of those right. guys. One of those guys. Uh, man, I knew it was different at, at State Farm Stadium, but to hear you lay it out, 32 games and 10 wins? Yep. Yikes. Yeah. There was a time when Bruce Arians was the head coach where one of two things was guaranteed. The Cardinals were going to win their home games, or they were going to play a damn exciting game yep. that ended in a loss, or bo- you know, play an exciting game that ended in a win. I had no idea how in bad the it's four been. years since it's been that lean at and, home. And again, we're, we're also talking about a couple of lean years talent-wise with Josh Rosen. Well, that was one year. But we're also talking about a couple of bad years in there. But the, the point remains. Um, last year, in the midst of what was a really good season, the team was noticeably worse at home. Uh-huh. Anybody with eyes could see it. And and there was a time under B.A. when when he kind of willed the home field advantage into being where he basically told his players, I will not tolerate losing at home, baby. I want eight no every year, baby. <laughs> and and guys would just kind of like rally around that. And and again, I, there's a there's a larger topic here and, and people have actually, you know, done studies on this and debated this and written about this and and it's is are all the advancements in technology and science and health and nutrition and all this stuff is there stuff out there that helps teams negate traveling? And the answer is yes. 
And and for instance, uh, Ron Rivera cited a study once that we found out that if you're traveling to Denver or places of high altitude, that it affects you less in the first 24 hours. So our new plan is if we ever play in Denver, we're rolling in there Saturday night before a Sunday game. Really? Yeah. We're not rolling in Saturday morning. We're not rolling in Friday. We're getting in Saturday night. So it's little stuff like that that have helped teams unlock the obstacles of playing on the road, but still at some point in time. And the online secondary ticket market is also a very big deal because we, we've we seen that here. Brutal. Brutal. Just yes. absolutely brutal. Mm-hmm. And it's it's you know, and it's become a thing where where people buy football tickets as investments. That's not right. as fans. Yep. Which it's it's just discouraging, yep. but it's understandable. Yep. Because there's such you can make your money back very, very mm-hmm. easily. Yeah. Um, it's it's like it's like I, I read a story yesterday that blew my mind. People, f- forward thinking people, financially. In other words, guys, not like you and me, Vinny. <laughs> the rich people, right? They're, hey, I've got some money under my mattress. What are you talking right. about? Uh-huh. There've been there's been a there's been a spike in Glendale home sales by people who are buying a home just so they can rent it out for the Super Bowl. Really? Oh. Yeah. yeah. Right. See. Right. We never have these thoughts. BRB. I gotta go buy right. a house. <laughs> I gotta go yeah. buy a house in Glendale. See ya. Yeah. Right. So that's brilliant. So I I, I think in 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 no the no wonder case- why I'm gonna die in a rental. <laughs> Vince, you and me both. <laughs> Feeling that so that hard right now. So sad. I'm gonna if I don't, if I don't die here at work. <laughs> so, so to me, this is it's all changing. The, the how hard it is to win on the road. It's it's not as difficult as it once was for a lot of reasons. But in the right setting, the right home field advantage can give your yes. football team a great advantage. Look at what that great home field home court advantage did for the Phoenix Suns. You've lived it. Yes, I but mean, you've seen it both ways as, as the PA guy. To me, it's not about the fans creating the environment. The team has to set the standard yep. and the fans follow suit, and mm-hmm. then they work in concert from there. This is going to be a storyline next week, so uh, you know, good, good on you for getting ahead of it on today's Blast. They're going to talk about this. It hasn't yeah. been talked about a lot because, you know, it's looking forward, it's roster construction, but it starts for real next week and you got a real tough first opponent coming in here. Yeah, no so doubt. So the about good it. news is that I'm sure it's on the minds of the Cardinals. Hey, we have to reverse this trend. The bad news is there's only five Super Bowl contenders that are coming to Glendale this year, starting with the Kansas Chiefs, City Chiefs. The Rams, the Bucks on Christmas. The Niners and the, the Chargers. Niners, the Chargers. The Eagles are going to be The Eagles good. are good. The Saints yeah. could be good. Saints the, could be good. You don't know what you're going to get from Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Yeah, right. I mean, the only one that looks like a gimme is Seattle, but you know that neon green comes to Glendale, and all of a sudden they turn into superheroes. You never know if you're going to win. Right. That. that is a yeah. rough oh, home schedule. It really, really is. It's a, a yeah. This is and and that is that to me is kind of the the more high profile games you get in that building. Unfortunately, it leads to the more mixed audiences because they just the, the marquee games are the ones that sell uh, for uh, absurd prices on the secondary market. So, yeah, it, 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 what the trick in all of it is, you just hit it. So, if you want to use the Phoenix Suns as an example, Phoenix Suns got really good. And then the building got full. And then the people who bought Suns tickets didn't want to sell them because they wanted to be part of that experience because it was that special. But it was also unique in that instance, too, is that this all coincided with 
you know, the United States coming out of COVID lockdown. True. And it was empty, and then there was 1,500, and then there was 3,000, and that created a demand, too, you know, in combination with the Suns being good. But you're right. The result was magical. Yeah, it was. And it, there was a little attrition to it last year, and maybe the way the team performed in the playoffs might have had something to do with that. Um, but but I think that that's, you got to build something, because it they had it for a while. It was something where, if you made the investment to go to Glendale, to go to State Farm Stadium, you were it was going to be worth it. And not just because of the noise and the, the, uh, the communal aspect of it all, but they were just churning out one magical performance after another. You, you remember those games, like block punts to win the beat the Cowboys mm-hmm. in overtime. And, yep. You know, just crazy stuff. John Brown's catch to beat the Eagles. And the so, dance afterwards. Yep. And, and I mean, there's a reason why when the Cardinals have been good and when the team has rallied around the Cardinals, they're 4-0 and in, home ga- in playoff games at home. Mm-hmm. So... When they get the magic, it works, and that they got to get it back, and they got to get it back by being compelling, by being real competitive, and by just making people feel like I've got this ticket, I ain't selling it, well, I'm going. That's what makes this this opener so important. You can set the tone for if you beat Kansas City at home, yeah. you set the tone for the whole season and the home schedule. Uh, you could text your thoughts on that or anything else we've talked about this morning to the FanDuel text line. It's open at six twenty six twenty right now. Coming up next. What should the Phoenix Suns do with Jay Crowder? Should they kick the tires on Boyan? Lots of questions still at this point of the offseason as training camp nears. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Bickley and Murata. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Friday edition of Bickley and Murata Mornings, live from the Octane Community Studios. The whole gang outside of Jarrett here. Lauren doing a great job filling in for Jarrett. We'll all be back after the long weekend Tuesday in full effect, yo. I like it. <laughs> You're bussing this morning, can, man. Um, can I mention something that you mentioned to me? Sure. We, we, we were wondering about the origins of Restore the Roar. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess an angry, uh, an angry listener got in touch with you, <laughs> said you stole it because... <laughs> That's the official slogan of the Detroit, the Detroit Lions. Lions. My question to the Lions fan is, when the hell is that team going to get around to restoring it? It's up for grabs at this yeah, point. Right. I think that copyright there's, is worn yeah, out. There's a statue of limitations, right? <laughs> if, if, if you unveil a slogan, you got to back it up with X amount of se- in X amount of seasons, or it's gone. Although I, like I, it. I did watch a portion of uh, the third episode of Hard Knocks. And after they got their preseason win over the Colts, the speech that Dan Campbell gave, look, there's no doubt about it. Guys want to play for Dan Campbell because of his motivational tactics and the way he deals with players. Mm -hmm. That does not ensure success. And didn't you at the end of that episode go, this guy might be emotionally burning out this football team? That's just a little bit. That's too much after a preseason win. Too much to me. Yeah, but I mean, whatever, I get it. Look, you're, you're you're after a win, you're addressing your locker room where 37 of those guys mm-hmm. aren't going to be around, or 27 of those guys aren't going to be around anymore. So maybe right. it rings a little bit hollow. I do like him, and he's an easy guy to root for. Uh, Phoenix Suns, we're about, uh, actually, one month from today, Bick. The Adelaide 36ers roll into town. Wow. For a preseason opener against the Suns at Footprint I, Center. Are you studying up on those names? 
Uh, I looked at him real early to see if there was anybody that I knew or anybody. Starting it forward, Crikey McGillicuddy. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like that. Uh, but nobody that I had heard of. No household names on that okay. team. But what is the Suns team going to look like at that point? You know, they got their roster filled. Um, they did sniff around and, and, and pursue to some degree Kevin Durant. We know that's not going to happen right now. But there still could be change coming to this team in mm-hmm. terms of addition and subtraction. And I think on the subtraction front, you have to start with the Jay Crowder question. We kind of talked about it yesterday. Jay Crowder, again, continuing his, uh, his cryptic activity on social media, which led to him pulling his whole Instagram account about it? down. Uh, but also pinning a tweet on Instagram before he did that that suggests the Miami Heat trade for Jay Crowder and bring him back. Nobody seems to know the origin of Jay Crowder's discontent. I think it might have to do with a contract extension. I mean, that's usually what it's, it's based on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, enough time has passed from a painful um, playoff exit. You'd think they'd be over that. Maybe it's the constant chatter of, wow, the Suns need to upgrade their four position. I'm not going to sit here and bash on Jay Crowder. I like him as a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked what he brought to other teams before he became a Phoenix Sun, and I like what he's done uh, as a Phoenix Sun. But can they upgrade that position? I believe they can. Yeah, yes, and I, I'm, I'm right there with you. And, and I also think that it's it's not a bad strategy to kind of move off the Kevin Durant thing. I, I know, listen, I know how appealing it is, and I know how we all felt about it when the news first dropped. It was very flattering that Kevin Durant uh, chose Phoenix, wanted to be in Phoenix. It was It's something we have not really been used to <laughs> over the course of the last few decades when we begged guys like LaMarcus Aldridge to come to Phoenix. Um so, so to me, I, I think that uh, I think that a good portion of this fan base has moved on from Kevin Durant. And I'm saying this anecdotally. Uh, I, I met a very successful guy yesterday. Just ran into him. He's, he sits on the floor at Suns games, and I said, "So where are you at in Kevin Durant?" Don't want him. And I think, I bet you there it's more than 50% at this point where Suns fans, after all the drama, after you know all the backlash for Kevin Durant. I mean, it's it just recently Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal were willing to call his career an unmitigated failure. Yeah, because he's abject never, failure abject is the word failure. that Charles Barkley used on this uh, this radio. Show. Yes, and Shaquille, in terms of leadership. Yes, well, Shaquille O'Neal called his career that because it, Shaq said, "If you're the guy." And you never win a title, that's a failure. Because that's what you have to do as the guy. Now, he's won it as a guy, but not the guy. So I, I think you throw it all together, and, and you throw in this team's love affair with the youthful innocence of the Suns' uh, young core, and I, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that it, as of right now, it seems public opinion is siding on, no, we'd rather have this than that. Yeah. Now, maybe, that, maybe that's just in the moment stuff. Maybe. I want to go back to the, right. what you just said about Kevin Durant, the, the guy as opposed to a guy. The consensus on Kevin Durant's time was that he joined a ready-made team to win a championship and blended in very nicely. Mm-hmm. But it's not like, I mean, it was Steph Curry's team, and it still is Steph Curry's team, even after Kevin Durant's gone. But I don't know if it's fair to call him just a guy. When, when in that span, that team won two championships, and both times Kevin Durant was the finals MVP, mm-hmm. that's more than being a guy. 
And we uh, talked true, about this true. past basketball season getting the finals MVP another level of validation for Steph Curry. Why did that not apply to Kevin Durant? Because it wasn't an 82-game <laughs> yeah. phenomenon? Yeah, and I don't right. want to some be in the business not, no, of defending of it, Kevin no, Durant. You're right. Some of it's not fair, and some of it is. I mean, because he is a terrific basketball player. I just, I, I just think there's a level of entitlement that that <sighs> the thing that a lot of people do not like in NBA players, he takes to the nth degree. And and again, yes. I, I know that LeBron started a lot of this, but. But but Katie has really kind of made a cottage industry out of I hey look I'm I'm doing me I don't I don't care about you I do me and LeBron got a lot of vitriol for it too but the fact of the matter is LeBron James never has demanded a trade he's hopped around via free agency right true but Kevin Durant did turn a lot of people off and I think this year what we see from Kevin Durant is going to be one of two extremes mm-hmm. he's going to report to camp. And be as petulant as ever and as difficult as ever to try to ensure that he's out of there in January. Mm-hmm. Or he's going to file away what everybody's saying against him and use it as fuel and absolutely light Just the league on fire. Could happen, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so to me, I think this is interesting. Now, to get back to the Phoenix Suns, I don't know. What, would, what do you think it would take to get Boyan Bogdanovich? Well, you got to match salary. It's 19, 19 million, so you got to get close on the salary. So probably two players and a pick. Yeah. Okay, that's right. I keep forgetting about that. The I mean, would, uh, I don't thing. even know if Crowder and Shamit would get it done. I don't know how much inter. I I, don't, I would assume the Utah Jazz, who once upon a time employed Jay Crowder, they've got no interest in employing him again at right. this point. He's not what they're looking for. Except now they've got a different guy building their team, and they have well, they have that, and they have an expiring contract. If should they, I mean, that should they want to go that's down that Utah's attraction to Jay Crowder is the expiring contract. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I would be, I would be in favor of that. I do think that that is one. That's one piece this basketball team needs. I, it's not, it's not the biggest need, but I think if you were going to target three things, the Phoenix Suns need. They need another reliable forty percent or higher three point shooter, Bogdan. Bogdanovich is very close to that. I, I think they obviously need help at backup point guard, and and then they need that that scorer, that number two option uh, who can score off the bounce. I mean, now, that still seems like a lot to add between now to add. and October. That's a ton to add. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I don't think that they will add all that. And but but I do think that those are needs that this team has. But again, the the one thing that I I keep going back to is is the Phoenix Suns for for all the playoff disappointments we've encountered. They've got some guys with with really crazy room for growth still. Yeah, and, and maybe even Devin. Maybe that even applies to Devin Booker. I mean, he's improved every year he's been in the league. Mm-hmm. Can, can he do it again? I mean, it's mm-hmm. getting to the point now where it's hard to do that because he's raised he's, to such a level. That's right. Because yeah. he's you know. It's the higher you go, the steeper the climb gets, and that's kind of where Devin Booker is. The mm-hmm. changes to his game now—it's like getting good at golf. It's it's very easy to get from a hundred to ninety. It's very hard to get from seventy-five to seventy because mm-hmm. the changes just get so nuanced and incremental. But Devin Booker has always been a guy that targets that and understands that and wants to be that guy. So I, you know, I'm, I have faith in that. I'll take your word on the golf analogy. <laughs> Coming up next, uh, we'll talk uh, for all of you having last-minute weekend fantasy drafts. We'll talk to Eric Carabell from ESPN Fantasy Expert next. Pickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Pickley and Murata Mornings, live from the Ak-Chin Community Studios.
here on this Friday. You know football's getting close. Well, we have our next guest on to talk fantasy football. Lots of drafts to happen this weekend, I'm sure, with the long weekend. Uh, from ESPN, Eric Carabell joins us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Eric, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good. Uh, I'm going into this with kind of a, a really clear mind because I am not cluttered with any inclusion in uh, NFL fantasy leagues this year. <laughs> so I'm just going to ask questions that might uh, not benefit me, but benefit the masses. <laughs> Clutter. I, I like the use of the word clutter. Like, it's a bad thing. But okay, thank you. Look, the way I play fantasy sports, Eric, it is a bad thing. Um, I, I'm real curious, and I'll start here because it's a local front. And, and um, you know, the Cardinals have a lot of offensive talent. I know Kyler Murray ranks very high in your quarterback rankings. I'm curious on what advice you would give to anybody on the Cardinals wide receiver position and how to attack that considering DeAndre Hopkins six week uh, absence to begin the year. Yeah. I mean, Marquise Brown, I mean, should be very good this season and that would have been even with Hopkins on the roster all season long. I mean, we've got Hopkins. Hopkins is a late round pick. Obviously if you miss almost half of the uh, fantasy football regular season, it's hard to be all that productive, but Marquise Brown, we have him just outside the top 20 wide receivers going in round six. We think he's going to be a thousand yard guy with six or seven touchdowns. Murray's obviously excellent. James Conner is excellent. So this should be a high-powered offense, and we think they're going to win a lot of games for fantasy managers. Now, when you look at the Cardinals, their running back, it, it's interesting to me because they went out in the offseason. They brought in a, a dual-threat guy from um, from the Chiefs and Daryl Williams who, who put up good numbers last year, but he may have lost his starting job, Dino Benjamin. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the depth chart is looking at like now. Uh, how would you handicap that when, when people are looking at the number two running back in Arizona? I mean, obviously, James Conner is a borderline top 10 fantasy running back. We think there'll be some regression with the touchdowns, but he was a factor in the passing game, surprisingly, last year, and we think he'll be just as much this year. So I'm not sure that any of the other Cardinals running backs are going to matter that much. None of the other Cardinals running backs are going in most ESPN drafts. Um, I do think that Benjamin is interesting, and I think they want him to surpass the veteran Darrell Williams and be something there and catch some passes on third downs. But right now, I still think Connor's going to be a three-down back. He's obviously going to get every goal line touch. Right. So he's really valuable. I think Benjamin would be the guy I would like to have in a deeper league. Yeah, uh, Eric Carabell, ESPN fantasy expert, our guest here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. I'll ask you one more Cardinals positional question because for the first time in forever, Eric, the Cardinals are going in to a season with not one but two guys who could be effective in the passing game from the tight end position in Zach Ertz and the rookie Trey McBride. How, how do you stack those guys up at the tight end position? Well, I mean, the latest I heard about, about Zach Ertz is that he may be ready for week one. And I've been telling fantasy managers, even if he misses a week or two of the season with his calf injury, don't shy away from still taking him. He, he is really good went once after the trade from Philadelphia last season. Now, the thing about McBride is he should be a factor right away, but he really wasn't in the preseason. No. They didn't throw to him much. It's almost like they don't expect much out of him this first year, which is kind of what I'm expecting. He'll break out next year. So to me, Ertz is like a top 10 guy at the back end of the top 10, just after Dallas Goddard, his former teammate, um, I just maybe just ahead of Mike Kosicki. Even if he misses a week or two, you should invest. All right. Interestingly to me, last few years, we've seen a lot of uh, rookie wide receivers have a great deal of success from Jamar Chase last year. Justin Jefferson comes to mind. Jalen Waddle, maybe CeeDee Lamb. Are there any rookie wide receivers that really pique your interest this year? 
Well, I mean, Drake London of Atlanta is the first one going in drafts in like round 10. And then soon after that, we're seeing Chris Olave of the Saints, Garrett Wilson. This is about the time where people are like, oh, I don't really know what to do, so maybe I'll just try something. <laughs> I don't see any of these guys coming in right away with like a thousand yard season because nobody wants to draft like Marvin Jones, the guy who's been in the league forever, even though he's still productive. They want to draft a rookie because he hasn't failed yet. Traylon Burks in Tennessee should get an opportunity. I personally think George Pickens in Pittsburgh may be the best one of the bunch. I think he's going to get opportunity right away. It actually is going to be a veteran quarterback in Trubisky in September. Pickens looked great in the preseason to me. But I think the bottom line here is you shouldn't be reaching on any rookie wide receiver in the first eight or nine rounds. These are guys that take maybe one Take one of them in your draft as a late-round pick, but don't do any more than that. Yeah, if you got points for swagger and confidence, George Pickens would be a great pick. Oh, but yeah. Unfortunately, the most folks don't have that. Blocking, yeah, yeah, right. Pancake blocking at the line right, of scrimmage. Right. Uh, staying in Pittsburgh, uh, I'm curious on, on your thoughts on their quarterback position. I mean, Mike Tomlin's been very tight-lipped on who will start. I think we all agree it's just a matter of time for before Kenny Pickett takes over. Is either one uh, of those guys, Trubisky or Pickett, worth, uh, worth a pick? Uh, for, for fantasy owners? Well, ESPN standard leagues are 10 teams, so no. Even in the 10-team leagues, we're seeing some pretty decent quarterbacks who aren't going at all, like Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr, so you can get them late or you can just you don't even need a backup in a 10-team league. Yeah. In a dynasty or a keeper league, obviously there you want Kenny Pickett over Trubisky. Um, there are some other young quarterbacks who I really like that may or may not play early on in the season. I mean, Malik Willis of Tennessee, if he ever gets a chance, the way he runs the ball, uh-huh. he could be Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray right away. He wouldn't need a great arm to, to be an option in fantasy. But obviously, I don't think Pickett's going to start in September, but I think they'll move him in on the first sign of like a sprained ankle to Trubisky or something like that. In general, fantasy manager, the only position fantasy managers should look at when it comes to rookies is running back. Damian Pierce is going to be a guy right away. Uh, Algier in Atlanta at quarterback and wide receiver and tight end. Don't look. Two of the uh, two of the top three, four wide receivers in football have left Hall of Fame quarterbacks for lesser situations. H- how do you assess guys like Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill now that one's in Vegas and one's in Miami? I think I moved them down my rankings just a little bit. I mean, obviously, the quarterback drop, but Derek Carr was effective last year. He was a borderline top 12 fantasy quarterback. I don't know about Tua Tungvaluwa. I think... I don't want to say he's overrated yet because we just haven't seen enough of them to know. They've finally given him some weapons. Let's see what we can do with it. But I still have both these wide receivers in the top ten. And there's a lot of other receivers that have moved on, too. Amari Cooper we're seeing. So A.J. Brown's in Philadelphia now. This was the offseason for wide receivers changing. But I do think in these cases, these are veteran guys, proven guys. It almost doesn't matter who their quarterback is as long as there's a guy who could at least get him the ball. We see every year. Wide receivers put up numbers even without great quarterback play. I mean, Brandon Cooks has been on how many teams in his career? Mm -hmm. And he still puts up numbers. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. So, to me, these wide receivers changing, only a minor deal. Eric Carabell, ESPN Fantasy Expert, our guest uh, here on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. Before we let you go, Eric, for anybody listening uh, that may have a draft upcoming this weekend, give us a big name to avoid and maybe a sleeper to invest in for those people. I seem to be on, on my own island on this Christian McCaffrey thing. All my colleagues, the industry, they all have him ranked one or two overall. The guy played in 10 of 33 games the past two seasons. He's not going to get more durable. There's no way I'm taking him in my top five. I understand it doesn't matter if he finished in second or last, but to me, I'm kind of avoiding Christian McCaffrey. I think he's great when he plays, but yeah. he's too much of a risk. I love 
Pierce in Houston, the rookie, who's not going where he should go in drafts. He's going like four or five rounds behind Brees Hall, the Jets. I view them as similar rookies in situations where I I think Pierce is going to get more run. So if you're looking for a running back a little bit later on, I love Pierce. I love Travis Etienne of Jacksonville. Uh, I think these guys are going to put up some numbers a little bit later. And Kenneth Gainwell in Philadelphia, Miles Sanders is not healthy. So to me, you want to get durability in the early rounds and then take upside in the middle. Running back's the place to look for that. I, I lied. I got one more for you on a big-name running back. Saquon Barkley's talking a big game. Oh, How yeah. much of a believer nope. are you? Nope. 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 <laughs> in fact, I, I decided the entire NFC East running backs. I actually wrote this in my Do Not Draft story. There's no way. I, I don't see any of the starting NFC running backs coming up with the value that people expect out of them. That includes Gibson and Washington, Ezekiel Elliott. Tony Pollard's going to split carries with him and get a lot of reception. And that includes Barkley, who was terrible last year. And it wasn't because of the offensive line or the dysfunctional coaching or the quarterback. It's because he's not the same player he was three or four years ago. So I hope he does well. I like Barkley, but I don't think he's going to be a top-ten running back. Eric, great stuff as always. Really good to talk to you, man. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Eric Carabell, ESPN Fantasy Expert, joins us uh, right about this time every year with great information. Everybody's prepared now for their weekend drafts. If you got one coming up, he joined us on the Arizona Sports Line. Coming up next, it was a route last night in Tempe. We'll go over ASU's opening win over NAU. That's next. Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Seven FM, Arizona's sports station. Dan Bickley, Vince Morata. Bickley and Morata mornings. It was a game where we went in with the mindset of trying to run the football, and we accomplished that. We missed a couple big, big pass plays, and then in the second half, we settled for for too many field goals. Now we have a freshman kicker that I thought made all of them, which is good to see. Um, we scored two touchdowns on defense; they get called back. So it's one of those games, there's a lot to learn from it. Um, but I thought, you know, we can hold the team to three points. That's always a good night for defense. And when you can run the football, um, that's also good, good for offense. But there's a lot of things we still have to work on. Herm Edwards, head coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils. His team opened up a little bit slow. One, a 3 nothing game after one quarter. They turned on the Jets in the second quarter. They end up beating NAU 40-3. to and as we talked about earlier, um, you know, I, I don't want to call Herm's comments there nitpicking. Yes, they did have two pick sixes nullified by penalties. One nullified an interception. Yeah. One was post, uh, you know, change of possession, so it only nullified the touchdown. But defensively, um, what they were able to do, NAU came in with uh, a, a guy in Daniels, their running back, mm-hmm. um, who I think was sixth in FBS or FCS. Last year in rushing, had okay. over 1,100 yards. Wow. He had like 11 carries for 12 yards in this game. Uh, for a lot of new members and a lot of guys flashed. The guys that you thought would flash at the linebacker position, you know, Kyle Soley was all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Merlin Robertson was all over the place. But those guys on the defensive line, which took a hit when, when Matus is out for the year, I thought it was a huge loss. They thought they were going to get Jermaine Lole back. He transfers to Louisville. But those guys, and the transfer Silvera from Miami, Mm -hmm. I I thought he flashed. There was a lot to take in terms of positives for for ASU. 
uh, admittedly going into a game next week at Oklahoma State that's going to be a lot tougher. Oh, yeah. You're going to deal with some probably pretty gnarly weather and humidity uh, at that time of the Oof. day yeah. uh, at, at Oklahoma and a much better football team. Well, it's it's going to be a game, really, that is that it, it can be a launching pad or it can be a reality check. It's going to be one or the other for, for ASU. Mm-hmm. There was a lot I liked that I saw last night. Like you said, I think that the transfer portal uh, gets stigmatized because it's come to symbolize just the 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 yucky transient nature of college football where there's nothing but moving pieces everywhere you look and and it's hard to kind of it's it's almost impossible now to get a team and realize okay this is going to be our, our team for 3 maybe 4 years it, it it's not that way anymore but but what you realize last night is that there's a lot of talent coming in to replace the talent that's going out. And, and as much as you'd love to have a guy like Ricky Pearsall on this team right now, I, I wonder if I wonder if three weeks, four weeks down the road, some guys are going to be bummed they left MP. Maybe. That would be a great thing to accomplish, wouldn't it? To create such a such a show of, of solidarity and all that stuff that that uh, that you kind of restore that a little bit. Look, we don't have reasons for why everybody who transferred no. transferred. It is safe to assume the reality of the situation. Some of them did it for playing time reasons. Some of them did it for NIL opportunities. Some of them did it because they thought ASU was a sinking ship. Yeah. And what we talked about, you know, going into this game was, and we talked about it with Herm Edwards on Wednesday, the guys that are wearing that uniform right now, they want to be here for one reason or another. There's not anybody really with one foot out the door. And Herm talked about it last night. He said, this team likes each other. Do you want to hear that cut from our I, show yesterday? I, I do. You, you can't take that lightly. Um, uh, we lost a few guys, which a, a lot of teams did due to the transfer portal. Um, but we also gained a lot of guys that wanted to come here. So I think it's, it's, it's a unique situation now in college football all over the country. I mean, that's what you see. You see you know, different guys going to different teams and different conferences, and that's, just, that's going to be the way college football is going to be looked at. Two days ago, not yesterday, but he said, "Yeah, we don't take lightly that the guys who are here yeah. want to be here." Yeah. yeah, and and you you can't underestimate when how many how many assistant coaches got got. Oof. Uh, I don't, I don't got know the sacked. number off the top. Was it there three was, or four? There was some turnover. Yeah, there was some turnover was at the four. beginning of last. Two new coordinators yeah, this at, year, right? At the beginning of last year, there was some turnover that everybody downplayed in the program, but clearly it had to be traumatic. When you're suddenly bringing in new voices who are now your position coach and you don't have a relationship with them and maybe you don't buy what they're selling. Uh, I did not see a lot offensively that I was digging last year. I did not see really any growth at all in Jaden Daniels. I think you might see a noticeable uptick in the quality of coaching and not just because the new group of coaches is that much better, but just because there's stability. There is there's there isn't so much noise. The level of distractions that must have been in that program last year, while no one will cop to it, it must have been profound. Because look, Antonio Pierce that 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 was a song and a dance. It what what happened to him? Mm-hmm. There was a lot of distraction and a lot of noise that came with that. 
because he was the guy that was the recruiting coordinator for the majority of players on that team yeah, last year. And got pulled off the and road. Pulled off the road and, and then, then scrubbed his account. <laughs> yes. And then, so I'm sure he's not. That kind of sounds like one foot out the door, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So, so at that point in time, I'm sure a- a- ASU football is not his number one motivation. And yet, and yet the defense was actually really good last year. It was. Uh, another thing I feel good about is the running back combination. Yeah. Last year, that was the strength of the offense when you had Rashad White and train him and, and to a lesser extent and got a but Valade looked good, and God is ready to break out. I, I feel good about that, especially if that's go- going to be their identity uh, offensively. And the last point I want to make, and I said this to you off the air yesterday, you know, I wonder what the attendance figure is going to be like. I wonder what that stadium is going to look like because of you know the, the negative storylines going into this season, some apathy from the ASU fan base. Factor in it's a Thursday night game against an FCS opponent that you always beat. And, oh, by the way, it was like 197 degrees at kickoff. They listed 44,000 as the attendance. Yeah, it was much better than I thought it was going to be, particularly given the weather. Now, I I don't know if anyone saw my daughter or my son. I'd like to have confirmation that they were there. Oh, they Did were there. Did you check their Instagrams? <laughs> you, don't have the, you don't have the tracker on their phones or the family app or whatever mother, it is? mother does. I don't. <laughs> well, just, just ask the wife then. Yeah, were they at the game right. last night? <laughs> that's right. Just give them a pop quiz. It was better than I thought. But again, it's, it, I, I do know this from, uh, from talking to my daughter. The first football game of the year is a social event. Whether they come back for a second game remains, totally. remains to be seen. Whether you got to show up in this. your cute outfit, your little torn shirt, your little denim skirt. Yep. Girl, I went to college once. I remember. Whether or not they come back for the second half is also. Yeah, that is the question. Yeah, but a good win for ASU to start the season last night over NAU. Coming up next, we hit the 9 o'clock hour on social media. Time for some social studies with Sarah Cazell. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.